Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This is a special episode. It's the first one that is uh, eventually going to branch off into another podcast called Left of the Movies, where I talk about political films, often left-wing, sometimes right-wing, but from a left-wing perspective. And this entry is on Medium Cool. This seemed appropriate because this film is really based around the 1968 Democratic Convention, and last week was the 2020 Democratic Convention, and this week is the 2020 Republican Convention, so political conventions are obviously on everyone's mind. This was a totally different era in some ways, where you had this big in-person uh, event that people showed up at, got into you know fights in the streets, were protesting outside of. There was also mayhem on the convention floor, which I think... There might be a little bit of in the movie, but it's more about what's happening outside of the convention that year. Uh, there was a lot of contention because a more left-wing candidate was kind of shut out. Uh, in that case, it was Eugene McCarthy. And Hubert Humphrey ended up getting the nomination and went on to lose to Richard Nixon. So that's kind of the background to that. Now, the part that does feel somewhat parallel to today is actually the street violence. The fact that there was people protesting, that the cops came in very heavy-handed, beat them up, attacked them, and this was seen around the world. In fact, the protesters were chanting, the whole world is watching as the police were attacking. So, you know, that that aspect of it, the police violence, the protests, uh, obviously you see repeated right now today in places like Portland, but not around the Democratic Convention because due to the COVID virus, obviously, it's totally isolated. It's like a virtual event. So in that way, it's a total contrast. Uh, the 2016 Democratic Convention, on the other hand, where there were a lot of Bernie Sanders delegates present, they were protesting live there. There was, I remember in particular, uh, Panetta, the CIA chief under uh, Obama, I think, spoke, and they were booing him. So that was very contentious, and that reminded me a lot of... Uh, the events in Medium Cool. So we'll get to that movie in a moment, but I just wanted to set that up. Uh, eventually, like I said, this is going to be probably a monthly podcast of its own with its own feed, but for the next six months to a year, depending how long it takes to get the ball rolling, uh, every couple months, I'm going to offer another episode of this within the Lost in the Movies podcast. So for now, you can hear it on this feed here. This past couple weeks on my website, lostinthemovies.com, I uh, put up a status update just letting people know why my Journey Through Twin Peaks videos are taking so long and kind of keeping them abreast of my progress on everything else. I also shared updates for my picture gallery and my top posts page. Uh, the top post is just like it sounds. It's highlights from my work from the past 12 years. So if you're new to my site, you want to see other things I've done, just jump and I write to the most interesting stuff. I've got videos, visual tributes, podcasts, essays, and also lists, categories that I have. What I think is the work that I'm proudest of and most want to share organized there. And I finally updated after like a year and a half. It had been so long since I'd updated. So there was some new stuff to include there. And the picture gallery is a series of pages where I just choose images that I use, either my own screenshots or just things taken from Google searches, but just striking images. And if you click on them, they lead you to the post or the page where they were used. So you can use it as a directory or also just to scroll through like a real gallery, which is kind of nice. Just a reminder that uh, if you have anything to say about this film, please write in. You can email me at movieman0283 at gmail.com or leave a comment 
or talk to me on Twitter or whatever you want to do. I kind of hope that this episode gets some extra attention just because of the relevance of it. And I'm really curious to hear what people think of this movie, Medium Cool, or even if I'm able to introduce you to it. That's great, too. And what you think of it if you if you watch it afterwards. All right, let's begin the review. This was recorded originally a couple years ago for the 50th anniversary of the 68 convention. So there's some comments here and there that are kind of relevant to that context. And uh, that's another reason I wanted to add a little more of a present day 2020 context to it as well. Innocence is a feeling. Awareness is a feeling. How does it feel to stop feeling? You may discover violence at a time when an entire country learns to feel nothing america's wonderful 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 it really makes paramount pictures presents medium cool The dynamics that are happening in society. We don't we don't deal with the static things. We deal with the things that are happening. We deal with the violence. Five cameramen have been killed. One guy in Germany, he was beat to death by a mob. Just literally stoned, beat to death for UPI. The crowd thought he was taking pictures for the police. Wherever I go, I'm beat up. Get the guys with the cameras! Medium Cool came out in 1969, but probably the year it's most associated with is 1968. That's when it was shot, and it makes very canny use of that year throughout the film. First of all, there's uh, Robert Kennedy's death is referenced, which was something that happened while they were shooting the film. Uh, there's a scene where, and this doesn't have anything to do with the characters in the in the uh, film. In fact, the film takes place in Chicago, but they, you know, they, we cut to California to uh, Kitchen in a hotel and we can hear Kennedy's words off screen, the speech that he gave right before he was assassinated and the camera just kind of pans through the whole kitchen, everybody going about their work. And then the doors burst open after he finishes the speech and they're walking through the kitchen. Of course, at this time, everyone watching would have known and probably a lot of us know watching now that Kennedy was shot, I think passing through the kitchen. That was where Saran Saran found him. So, you know, that right there is from the, the headlines to the screen right right away. And also Martin Luther King is featured throughout the film. He was killed earlier that spring. Vietnam is constantly referenced. And the big event that's represented in this film, and is represented directly, it's not recreated, it's actually shot by Haskell Wexler, the director of the film, who uh, went, to, uh, went to the uh, protest events knowing that, that something was going to happen, not knowing exactly what. The big event is the Democratic National Convention of 1968, where Hubert Humphrey was nominated for president, and there were huge protests and riots in the street where uh, mostly young people were uh, protesting the nomination of somebody who supported the war, and also just more generally the system, uh, the American system of capitalism and imperialism, and uh, they were beaten up by the cops. Many reporters were beaten up by the cops. It basically became in all to all you know intents and purposes a police riot and this is one of the most famous incidents in american political history really and uh in the film it's captured in in a documentary sex sense in the middle of the story that's being told 
So the story that's being told is of a cameraman and not exactly a reporter. And that's kind of an important distinction because you get the sense his job isn't so much to analyze what he's seeing. It's to capture it, or at least that's that's how he's initially positioned. In fact, the film opens with him and his sound man approaching a car accident, finding a woman near death lying on a half on the street sprawled out from the car and sound man actually detaches her horn so that he can get a better recording of her sort of labored breaths and uh, the character who played by robert forster is circling around the car getting good shots and then as they leave he says oh better call an ambulance you know this is clearly the point that he he lives for he lives for getting that footage he lives for the craft of what he's doing and the 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 jolt that it gives him and there's a famous uh, line in the film where he's he's watching tv with this woman this uh, appalachian woman who he's begun a relationship with and uh, they're watching a martin luther king speech and it's this stirring moment this very poignant speech the last speech that king gave before he was assassinated and forster's looking at the screen it looks like he's really moved by that moment and then he says God, I love shooting film. <laughs> it's like kind of uh, a little bit of a self-indictment, I think. In fact, Haskell Wexler, the director, who was a famous cameraman, has talked about uh, shooting. And this was actually years later, coincidentally, years after he made Medium Cool. But he was shooting a documentary in Vietnam. And somebody uh, that he was shooting, a farmer, stepped on a landmine. And people rushed in to rescue him. And he was following it all with his camera and realized he was torn between getting the shot and jumping in to to do what he could to help this person and you see that same dynamic in this film where it's a political film but the protagonist is almost like aggressively apolitical uh (laughs) well uh, to a certain extent i think he finds himself getting somewhat politicized as the film goes along certainly he loses his job because he finds out that Uh, The station where he works has been handing footage over to the FBI and the cops, but he's upset not so much out of principle as out of a sort of professional code. He's like, well, you know, I'm going out there to shoot this stuff. If people know that they're just handing it over to the authorities, I lose all credibility. The first like half of the film is us following him around to different events that he's shooting, different things he's reporting on or following. And uh, one of these events is a military training where they're actually staging a faux riot protest so that the National Guard can figure out how to deal with these events. And about half of the people, I don't know if they're actors who are hired or if they're other guardsmen, their role in this is to play the protesters. But a bunch of people who clearly are not uh, hippies or leftists or protesters of any sort are dressed up in ridiculous costumes. They've got wigs on, they're chanting slogans, they're all having a fun time. And it's funny watching it now because it's the reduced down version of a 60s protest is is to uh you know has been to the media and the culture for a long time Uh, just this play acting routine and then later in the film we get really the real deal we get that parallel where they're actually walking through the actual protests in chicago with real blood real tear gas in fact at one point a character shouts the direct the actual director's name says haskell it's real look out when they're when the tear gas is on the ground now something i just found out ironically that's like several layers of fiction and documentary going on there because that is real tear gas. Haskell Wexler is really there inhaling the tear gas, but the voice warning him was actually added later. 
so that that element was actually staged the element that draws our attention to the fact that it's real which it was is staged so there's a lot of that interplay in medium cool where it's playing between documentary and fiction and also trying to kind of tell a narrative story but in a form that owes much more to like the european new wave and also to cinema verite the traditions that haskell wexler was immersed in at this time and that he was uh had had worked in and was also drawing from there's one moment in particular which feels very godard where the sound man and the cameraman are driving through uh driving through the city and he says i, I think they might actually be in dc yeah because they're going to cover robert kennedy's funeral and one of them says to the other you know there's four and a half women for every one man in dc and it just cuts to this quick montage without any change in the soundtrack, just the street ambience over it of four women walking in, you know, one woman, next woman, cut to the next woman, you know, four cuts, and then a cut to a woman's legs. So she's the half a woman. It's just a sort of sort of a, a coy, tongue-in-cheek, uh, playful thing that Godard would do in all of his films. Uh, he probably did do something almost exactly like that in one I just can't remember. But I'm not sure all of those in-your-face techniques where, where Wexler is really drawing attention to the medium and embracing a kind of heightened, I don't want to call it artificiality exactly, but like this sort of naturalness that isn't exactly natural. Like everybody's assembling through their speech and saying things, sometimes just declaring things outright. There's a whole party scene early in the film where just every single character is talking about how uh, how how risky it is to be a cameraman, how they get beat up all the time and everything like that. And uh, sometimes it comes on a bit strong. I think this was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was Wexler's first fiction film. And I think you can see it at times, like some elements of the film work better for me than others. It's funny, I saw this film about 10 years ago for the first time. And uh, sometimes, you know, you, you see a film and then you don't see it for a long time. You come back to it and you have a totally new impression or a fresh take. And sometimes you come back and you're almost surprised for all the things you've been through, for all the things that have changed in relation to the film, you still kind of come away with the same impression. And uh, to an extent, I would say that that was, that was true this time where I felt some of the films kind of messy. It, it doesn't quite work for me. It feels like he's trying a little too hard for, for some things and maybe not hard enough for others. Like I think a lot, a lot of the performance, the moments in the performances don't quite ring true. Forrester's really good. And uh, I think the woman who plays the Appalachian woman, Erna Bloom, she, she's good. The boy's really good. But a lot of just sort of the moments with people, some of whom may have been non-actors, they feel a little forced. People declaring what's going on. There's a histrionic aspect to it. Like even when Forrester's part, when he's getting upset about the, the job, like just, I think as a screenplay, and I'm not even sure anyone would argue this, uh, it's it's not that that, it's not particularly strong as a narrative. Uh, it has enough of a narrative to be interesting for the way that that, that narrative intersects with the documentary elements. But I think certainly the strongest parts of the film are the documentary aspects and the areas where it's really blurred. So like, for example, in another scene, the Robert Forster character walks uh, into this guy, this, uh, this guy's neighborhood who he was photographing earlier as he was giving money back to the cops and the cops were being kind of dicks to him saying, why would you give back 10,000? He's like, well, I'm giving it to you. It's, you know, what's, <laughs> what's the issue here? Why are you harassing me about this? So he goes to follow up on the story. And, uh, this is a black guy in a predominantly black neighborhood. And as he goes into the apartment, everybody's making fun of him and his, uh, his sound man, the sound man leaves. And as he's leaving, somebody confronts him 
And then it becomes this whole scene where they're explaining to him his basically to the camera directly, like talking right into the lens, what, you know, why he's condescending, why he's arrogant and why he doesn't realize this. And they said, you know, there's a famous line that says, you come in here to get your 15 minute human interest story and you want to capture in 15 minutes what it took us three, 300 years to develop. And uh, so there's, there's a real sense in this film of the limitations of journalism generally and I think media in general, fiction and, and documentary. And yet it's also, of course, an exploration of the possibilities of those mediums, uh, most notably in that, in that last part of the film. Fascinatingly, there's a sequence where the, the, the end of the film, the Appalachian woman, and I can't remember anybody's names, but it almost I'm not totally sure it matters. They're not really, you know, you don't, you don't think of them in terms of their names. Uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as just to call them types. Uh, they do have somewhat distinct personalities. I don't know how well developed I'd say they are, but they aren't just cardboard cutouts. But nonetheless, I think the real star of the film is the zeitgeist to sound kind of corny about it. And uh, sometimes that gets taken a little over the top too. I love uh, Frank Zappa, Mothers of Invention, but um, there's a sequence where they, they're playing a long uh, track from uh, the album. We're only in it for the money. And it just kind of keeps going, going. And it's going over what looks like a somewhat generic psychedelic scene. And the song is making fun of psychedelia. And it feels a little, a little too on the nose. And so I'm always kind of torn watching this film because... I and I've talked about this before like I love films that are time capsules and this is one of the all-time time capsule films. I don't necessarily mind something being dated but also sometimes when you're going that hard to capture the times and do it in a very conscious pointed way it can come off a little a little forced and actually some of my favorite scenes in the film watching it this time didn't have anything in particular to do with it being the 60s like for example there's a scene where they all go, and I'm actually not even sure what they're doing here, but the boy is really into pigeons. And there's a scene where they go out into this this field somewhere, I would assume on the outskirts of Chicago or maybe in a park. And uh, they're looking through all these crates where all these pigeons are stored. And then they let them out and they all fly in this flock. And it's, uh, it's, it's a really cool moment and really has this kind of palpable uh, t texture and feel to it. The whole film does. I mean, it's beautifully shot. Wexler is one of the great cinematographers of all time, bar none, uh, you know, shooting so many great films of the sixties and seventies. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf shot part of one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh, shot part of days of heaven, supposedly according to Roger Ebert. Uh, he, I don't think it, like him and Nestor Almondros shot that film. And I, I think he might not have been credited or he was split and he was furious that he felt like he didn't get enough, credit for that. And so he sat through the film with a stopwatch and timed all of the shots that he had made to prove that he had shot like more than half the film. <laughs> so he was, a, could be a very contentious guy. He was a brilliant talent. This is one of the original films of like a, a director cinematographer. That was a tradition you would see in documentary, but you really wouldn't see that much in fiction film until this and not much after either. I mean, I, Really, like, not until the Soderbergh's stint is of doing that in the, the Zeros do I really, can I really think of director slash cinematographers of, of narrative cinema. It's hard to wear both of those hats at the same time. But it's a gorgeous looking film, and there's just something really, like, palpable. Like, it works on your nervous system on just a, a, a visceral level. I love that about it. I'm 
somebody who actually has virtually no sense of smell. I can smell on occasion if there's like a really strong smell or the atmosphere is just right or something clears up in my sinuses, but most part I can't smell. And the reason I say that as a prelude, there's like certain films that just have such a strong aura and texture, I feel like I can smell them. And this is a film that I feel like I can smell. And at the end of the film, there's another parallel. I talked about how there's the parallel between the phony military protest and then the real protest at the end. And there's all these dichotomies throughout it. But the parallel at the end of the film is that there's another accident. And this time, the cameraman and the Appalachian woman are in it. It seems like they might be dead. The car is just smashed into a tree. We don't really even see what caused it. Feels a little arbitrary. It's sort of another example of him taking a page from Godard's book, but this is something that I think Godard sometimes goes overboard with too. The idea of it's like, okay, it's the end of the movie. The characters all have to die now. <laughs> I think it it can be a little cliched, but the effective thing about this accident, maybe they don't die in it, but the effective thing about this accident in this film is that in the beginning of the film, we see an accident where he's the outsider, he's the observer, he does, he has no stake in it, he's not involved. And at the end of the film, we see him getting in this accident, and it's particularly because he's trying to help this this woman find her son. And uh, that so that's just like a, a sort of effective bow to put on it. And then, of course, the very last shot, the camera zooms out, pans over, and lo and behold, there's another cameraman there pointing his camera at it, and it zooms in on, on his lens. And, of course, that other cameraman is, is Haskell Wexler himself. So I don't know if other people have seen this film, but I would love to hear what you thought if you did. It's one of those films I'd have kind of tumultuous feelings about. Like it t- parts of it work really well for me, parts of it don't. I find the whole thing utterly fascinating that it even exists as a document. And uh, also one other thing I'll end on is to watch the film now is quite different from watching the film around, I don't know, 2007, 8, 9, whenever it was that I first saw it. This is a much more politically active time. It's a time when the left has come back in a way it hadn't before. And when I saw it before, it was before Occupy Wall Street, which I guess uh, Haskell Wexler also actually documented in his 80s. He went and filmed events happening at, at Occupy. So to watch it now, I think there's a, there's a different kind of poignance to it. Before it was, you know, watching this thing from this bygone era when people were out on the street and there was all this unrest and anxiety and, and, and people really challenging the system. And uh, at the moment, I think I'm not sure how much of a, of a protest movement exactly there is. It's certainly not to the same degree as the sixties, but there is a vibrant and vital left for the first time in years. And I think watching it now where the left has moved, I think pretty sharply back to Marxism, which was certainly a thing in the sixties, you know, you see signs for socialists, you see a lot of red flags, But tactically, I think uh, the 60s rebellion was very loose. That was part of its ethos, this idea that like it wasn't a rigid ideological following kind of an ideological plan or structure, but it was spontaneous. Um, You know, the situationists were influences. The anarchists, anarchism was probably a little closer to the, the ethos of it. And watching it now, there's there's a sense of a little frustration, like, uh, what are, like, what are they doing? What's their, what's their plan? Where are they going with this? You know, uh, to watch it now, I think you have a sense that there's all this energy and it's exploding, but nobody quite knows what to do with it. And in that sense, the main character, apolitical as, as he is, serves as a useful figurehead for this, where he's reacting to the events as they happen. And he's got 
questions and curiosity and maybe a developing political consciousness, but he doesn't have a plan. And I think if anything can be taken from the 60s generally as a sobering lesson, it's that idea of actually having a goal and a strategy and a plan to gain power, not just to release that energy and to confront the power that exists, but to think about about what you want to do to change that. And in the film's terms, how you, how you uh, not necessarily put the camera down, but how you put it to a different use. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, reviewing, uh, and subscribing on iTunes. That's the best way to share this content, to get other people to see it, uh, is if you, you know, pop it up in the their iTunes Apple algorithm or however it works there. And if you really want to support my work, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. You get big extra bonus podcasts every month. I've got some new ones coming up for the end of August soon, including a Robert Altman film and uh, also another episode of Twin Peaks that I'm covering in depth. You can do that for a dollar a month or five dollars a month, whatever works for you. It's greatly appreciated. And of course, you can check out all my work on lostinthemovies.com. There's a link in the show notes to the full page of podcasts, both the patron ones and my public ones. You can scroll through that uh, to start with, but there's a lot of other categories on there as well. So here is a preview for next month's episode. After this little political break, we're going to return to the Ethan Hawke filmathon, and also at this point, still a Richard Linklater uh, filmathon, where I'm going to cover the film Boyhood which Linklater shot over 10 years. So a little snippet of that to whet your appetite, and I'll see you then in two weeks. I just want to fight. You guys ready to have some fun? Yeah! Yeah! Oh! Don't worry about it. Looks like you can use the bumpers. You don't want the bumpers. Life doesn't give you bumpers. 